This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and my guest today on the bridge of the NX-01 is the host of Melodic Treks, Mr. Brandon Shea Mutala. Welcome aboard, Brandon. Hello, how are you doing? All right. Hey, so what station have you, are you still trying out a couple of the bridge stations, or is one kind of sticking out to be your favorite this trip, or what, what are you thinking? Um, I, I just came up from, uh, working with chef, man. He taught me how to make some really fun food. Uh Oh, I didn't even mm-hmm. think about working in the kitchen. That would be awesome too. Right. Oh okay. man. I, there's great food in there. <laughs> get to, get to, uh, taste all the little secret recipes. Is he giving anything away? Oh no. I don't want to tell you anything about how he made this wonderful steak. He made oh. this gigantic, gigantic steak. Right. But so, none and for there's Sepal, some breadsticks. Right? Yeah, and oh. there's some breadsticks too, and like these these round breadsticks that were very crunchy, and uh, definitely want to eat those with your fingers. Oh yeah, definitely. And the I'm sure the biggest steak is for T'Pol, right? Yes, yeah, it's a it's a <laughs> vegan steak. You know, <laughs> speaking of something, so I had a funny experience on Facebook the other day, like completely unrelated. That you just mentioned that T'Pol. So Manu. Interami, I hope I said his name right, posted a picture. He was eating this junk food that was like chickpeas, and the flavor was vegan white cheddar flavor. So I just said, vegan white cheddar, do they also make vegan bacon flavor? Right? Because vegan means no animal products whatsoever, and cheddar is made from milk, right? So right. I'm like, I understand, yes, it's a flavor, but I'm like, is there vegan bacon flavor? And then some guy just wrote, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> it tastes like a vegan, right? Oh, tastes, okay. Tastes like a vegan. <laughs> right. Well, very good. So uh, for today's episode, Boomers, we're going to be doing another commentary, and but not just for any episode. We're actually going to go to commentary of Broken Bow, parts one and two. So why Broken Bow? Well, Enterprise just celebrated its 15th anniversary in September, and we thought one way to bring it in would be let's talk about that first episode. What's going on with it? Maybe give it some, maybe give it some color, so to speak. You know what I, I just know. realized? If this is the 15th anniversary of Enterprise, that makes me old. Oh yeah, I know because it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. I, no, yeah. didn't it just start last week? Yeah, 
It was, yeah, the show just went off the air. That's what we'll just keep telling, saying that. <laughs> so, yes, li- listeners, as we do the commentary like we did last time, we're going to have the audio track going on in the background, so you can listen to it anywhere. But if you want, you can get your Blu-rays set, set up, you can get your DVDs set up, you can get your Netflix all queued up. Or you're going to do it like I do it and just listen to it in the car. That's fine, too. You can listen right along. You'll, you can be able to follow right along with it. Um, I'm actually going to be... Don't watch it in your car. Don't yeah. watch it while you're... <laughs> Yeah, that's, that can be a dangerous thing. Some states, that's not allowed. Some states, it might be, but I don't recommend watching it on your phone, in your car. That wouldn't be very cool. So, Brandon, how are you going to be watching this episode? I am watching on disc one of my ultimate maximum Blu-ray box set that I bought from Amazon UK. Oh, nice. Yes, you got the full journey? Yeah. All right. Yep, I've got... That's actually what I'm using also. I'm playing it on uh, a borrowed... PlayStation with a borrowed TV and a borrowed office. So, yep. But I actually, um, I posted a picture of the uh, Enterprise box set that I'm giving away for the review contest. I just posted it just tonight as of this recording. So listeners, that contest is actually over. It ended in September, but I had a couple of listener, Warp 5 listeners, that said that their reviews hadn't shown up on iTunes yet and please hold off. So I'm just waiting for just a moment and I'll be announcing that very quickly. Probably by the time you hear this, I'll have already announced the winner. So this is, it's a time thing. It's a future guy thing. <laughs> and, uh, and it'll be slightly used. The only thing used will be, we've watched broken bow. That's it, right? <laughs> it's actually, it's going to be, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be like the book that you give away, you know, and it's a slightly like some of the pages are being kind of folded over. This is still going to be sealed in the 50th anniversary stickered package, but yeah, that, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, listeners, we're going to go ahead and get going with this. I'll give the rules of the three, two, one play and we'll all get lined up with it. And are we ready to go? Brandon, you ready? I am. I will hopefully not drop my remote onto my computer this time. Okay. (laughs) So here we go. Three, two, one, play. What is this? Toys? I think I have the wrong disc in here. Uh, Yeah, it looks like a... It's a modeling show. I know the whole speech by heart. When's it going to be ready to play? I I wonder what speech he's talking about. After a while. I don't know. We've never heard it before, though. It doesn't make any sense. This is, it's kind of interesting to note that, um, you know, Archer's father was the one who kind of worked a lot on this engine, right? And it was his, his, this dream of his to try and fulfill his father's, well, his dream to fill his father's dream. I hope that makes sense, right? But this is the image that they wanted to start this with, is what I've heard, that they wanted a Klingon in a cornfield. Yes. Have you heard that? Oh, when it said Broken Bow, Oklahoma, I grew up like less than two hours from Broken Bow, Oklahoma. And I was so excited until I saw that flat cornfield. And Broken Bow is actually in the mountains. But we'll (laughs) we'll just say in the future, they knock the mountains down to grow corn for the rest of the world. Maybe there was a food shortage or something. Man, they don't they don't really have to uh, explain anything in the future. Because, exactly. uh, you know, it's it, this is after the war, right? So maybe right. it was the bombs from, from World War Three that leveled off these mountains, right? Right. But then I guess they couldn't probably grow corn there. Yeah. Now, whenever I see this scene, I think of one of my favorite movies from the 80s, Children of the Corn. Yes. Doesn't, that like guy that look, doesn't he just look like his name's Floyd? 
I mean, that, that farmer, he just looks like maybe Farmer Floyd there. That's what I'm thinking. I wonder where he's at. It's the only thing, only building around. So let's start back. We'll go back to when we first watched this back in 2001. So um, what do you think of the Sulabon? So here we are, the first aliens that we see other than Klingons. we got a Klingon with a forehead, and we got Sulabon that we've never seen or heard of before. Did you ever have an issue with either one of those things? Yeah, it, the first time I saw this in 2001, I was, well, like I said, I saw this corn and flatness and broken bow, so that threw me off for a second, but nobody else in the world probably noticed. Wow, that corn had a lot of... A lot of fumes going with it, I guess. Lots of lots of <laughs> lots of explosiveness going for it. Um, but yeah, th- th- it just threw me off. Like I just wow, look at the CGI. Look at this, you know, look at this Klingon. He looks like a next generation Klingon, and I, I, it was a little little down. I don't know. It, it kind of threw me back a little bit. I'll admit that. Back in two thousand one. Were you okay with the foreheads? Mm, I'm more of a traditionalist on the toss side. So, yeah, I was kind of hoping they were going to have sm- smooth foreheads. See, I'm okay that they had foreheads at the beginning. I didn't really want them to explain it in Season 4 because it's what Klingons came to be. You right. know, they, they came right. to have foreheads. Now, before we get too far here, I just have something that I want to read while the main titles are playing. So, uh, these are liner notes that are written by Jeff Bond. From La La Land Records, the Volume 1 release of the Enterprise Music. Now, Volume 2 just came out, uh, but this is from Volume 1. And he says in here that the show's producers sought to establish Enterprise as independent from its predecessors in ways both large and small, from the initial absence of the word Star Trek in the program's title to T'Pol not sporting upswept eyebrows. But the most striking departure came in the decision to use a song, Where My Heart Will Take Me, rather than instrumental music for the opening credits. English tenor Russell Watson recorded the song, adapted from Faith of the Heart, originally written by Diane Warren for the feel-good Robin Williams vehicle Patch Adams from 1998. Previous Star Trek series had featured memorable orchestral main title themes, Alexander Korge's iconic fanfare and siren song, Jerry Goldsmith's spirited Star Trek The Motion Picture March adapted for The Next Generation, Dennis McCarthy's noble melody for D Space Nine and Goldsmith's sweeping Star Trek Voyager theme. In spite of fan protests, Berman stuck with Where My Heart Will Take Me throughout the series' run. And uh, in this set, it says that the Disc One Track One features the original main title version of the song, arranged and conducted by Jeremy Lubuck in New York City. So, that's a little bit of history on the, uh, the main title theme song as written by Jeff Bond. Nice. Um, and we've talked we've talked countless times about the theme, so I don't think we have to add much more to it. Um, but I thought this was very reminiscent of uh, original series movies when they're doing the inspection with the worker bee. Mm-hmm. And then we get this wonderful callback next season when he damages the paint, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Neptune and back in six minutes. It's just mind-boggling, hey? Like, because Neptune's so far away, and our you know our solar system is so large. Yep. Here goes the scratch. Those are the ports that buckled during the last test. Actually, he looks down. That's what. There he goes. Bang. (laughs) So, how do you feel about the look of it? So they decided to do like kind of a more casual approach. Like they've got more of like a. What is this, like a flight jacket outfit rather than, you know, the uniforms? 
Um, I'm kind of glad that they stuck with the original series colors, right? The yellow for command rather than red. Yep. Um, they got this baseball look and these casual jackets and whatnot. When you again back in 2001, how did you feel when these uh, these uniforms showed up? It it you know I, they got the colors right with the command, with the science, with the engineering. Um, you know, I had to think back a little bit. Okay, it these are practical uniforms, so that's you know that that. It's different than what Kirk had, but it's more practical. And then later, it's kind of hard for me to separate the before from the now, but uh, now I really see the ship for being the practical that it is, how practical it is compared to what we have now as opposed to what Kirk will have. And that kind of goes with the uniforms also. Yeah. Now, Norman Lau, has, uh, he used to be one of the hosts of, uh, of Warp 5. He's got a cosplay outfit of one of the Enterprise uh, uniforms, and he loves it. He's like, this thing is great. There's zippers everywhere. <laughs> I can put whatever I want wherever I want. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Klingot. Klingot. That's what we have in Oklahoma. That's how we grow them. Now, I didn't write this guy's, I don't, I don't know the actor's name, but uh, Admiral, the Admiral, it's Admiral Gardner, right? Um, he's in Deadwood. Did you ever watch Deadwood? No, I didn't. No, he's awesome. He's in Deadwood. He's in a great show called, uh, John from Cincinnati. Okay. So there's a lot of, he's in a lot of great stuff. I like him a lot. I think he's a great actor. I need to watch Deadwood though, cause I'm a huge Westerns fan. So you need to watch Deadwood. The first episode is not that good and I almost didn't continue, but when, once you hit the second episode, it's great. Gary Graham yep. went on to play uh, Saval in Axanar. Yeah, I could never place it, but watching the show, I'm like, T'Pol never does look right. And I didn't realize it, but it's because of the eyebrows, you know? They don't have her eyebrows upswept. Right. That and the, the Chekhov-style wig that they, they have her wearing. Yeah, it makes her her head look a little big. Disconnect this man from life support, even though he could live. Now, where is the logic in that? Klang's culture. Who's your favorite character in in uh, Enterprise? I like Flox. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of just yeah. depends on my on my when I'm doing a rewatch. Sometimes I focus more on different characters and things stand out to me. Um, the rewatch before, when someone asked me that, I actually liked Paul. And I like the journey that she took from beginning to end and how much she grew and how much she changed. Uh, Flock, so John Billingsley just steals the show constantly. Um, that's probably one that I fall back on the most. Yeah, I think he's probably my favorite one as well. He's such a good actor. He's so fun. Like the, the aliens, I think, on Star Trek are the best characters, you know, more so than the humans. Like, you know, I, I love all the characters, but Spock. Was my favorite in the original series, you know, Data the Android. You know, he's the non-human he's character. Archer kind of comes off a little bit in this. You know, well, he comes off a lot in the first season as just being really kind of a little bit spoiled, you know, or I don't know, like really rebellious. You know, I'm guess, gonna knock. I want to knock you on your ass. Right. He could be. He could be above it, but he just seems like he's way too anxious, and he's taking it way too like personal. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I wonder, like, because I wonder why he 
feels that way because I never got the impression that his father felt that way, right? You know, like when he's a kid in the flashback, he's like Ambassador Pointy, you know, like he kind of, his father tries to take him down from that, you know? And so I don't think that he would have gotten that type of attitude towards the Vulcans from his father. Right. So right there, so I wonder uh, where... right there, Gary Graham actually raised his voice when he spoke his line, and Archer said, "So is when you don't get your way or your logic doesn't work, you raise your voice." That was actually an ad lib by Scott Bakula, because Gary okay. Graham actually delivered the line a little too loud. But Scott Bakula is such a pro that he had studied everyone's lines and everyone's character, and then Star Trek in general. He was such a pro that he was clued into what every, how everyone else should be acting. And how everyone else should be reacting to things. So he dropped that as just an ad lib right there. That was pretty awesome. I didn't know about that just, until I actually heard it on an interview. Okay. Now we just passed the scene. We saw the ship outside in that skeletal space structure. I like the callback to that because it's such an iconic image from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yep. You know, so I like seeing that again to know that it's now been established that it's been around for quite a long time. Ships are built in space. Well, Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Except in the reboot universe when they're built in uh, Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other universe. That's a whole other universe. <laughs> what did you think about seeing the transporter so quickly? I mean, we're barely 10 minutes into the episode. We're already seeing transporter action. I don't know. I'm okay with it. I mean, they're sitting here talking about it, how they're like, this is supposed to be safe for human use and like people use and whatnot. And they're all worried about it. They're not sure. Um, so I don't know. I'm okay with it. I think it's kind of neat that it'd be there. This is supposed to be the most advanced ship in the fleet, right? Of course it would have that kind of technology. I love that they're using it for cargo. Cause that totally makes sense. Now we get a little bit of walk around here. We've got other crewmen. We're working on the ship, trying to hurry and get this thing finished, ready to go. Here comes the boomer. Likes to keep a light step. Such a great look to the show, like this submarine type look that they try to develop for it. Like it, it works so well for me. I love the look of the interiors of the NX01. Oh yeah, these sets are just amazing, and the details they put on. Okay, them. those two things that are going on an angle into the warp drive. There, do you think those are coming from the nacelles? I think it's going to the nacelles, right? Because they're angled in, right? Right. So that energy, to me, that feel, that's sending it out to the nacelles to create the warp field. So that's, and I always imagine that that's what it would look like in the uh, Constitution class also. Yeah, they have that matte painting or whatever, that long thing in engineering with Scotty, right? Right. So it's just a lot larger. Keep your shirt on, Lieutenant. Yep. Um, Con- Connor Trader was actually playing this character as being from Oklahoma, and because he had mm-hmm. played a previous character uh, in another project from Oklahoma, so that was just the character he played with it, and he got the the part. And then it wasn't until like the end of season two when they said, "No, you're from Florida," and he was upset. <laughs> so he was actually well. He was. I actually. I listened to an engage. Engage the official Star Trek podcast. Uh, they did an interview with him, and he talked a little bit about that. And he said that there was people from Florida that said he did a very good Northern Florida accent. Right. Oh yeah, the panel of Florida. Yeah, Texas, Oklahoma accents. It fits right in. To me, that it does. 
I don't know. I, I think it's funny when you Americans have your accent and you guys say a boot instead of a boat. <laughs> and we say a a lot too, right? Yeah. You say a. So. Well, I'm actually from Oklahoma, and I tend I tend to not think that I have the accent that my family does or friends do in, around in Texas because I live in Texas and Oklahoma. But when I moved to Oregon, they would have me repeat things just so they could hear listen to me talk. When did Quantum Leap air? Was that that was late '80s, early '90s? Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, ten or fifteen years prior to this, right? I think he's aged a lot more in the last fifteen years than he did in the fifteen years prior to this. Yeah, that's. I'm not really sure of the dates, but yeah, he's still doing a show. He's got a, a Bacula's got a show right now on CBS. Which one? It's uh, I want to say it's an NCIS. Uh, boomers, if you know what episode we're talking about here, just get, leave us a comment on the Babel Conference. It's in New Orleans. It's set in New Orleans. Or CSI New Orleans? Maybe that's it. He got her caught there right there when he brought her. He brought in the sample. That, that's what hooked her mm-hmm. in, man. The Klingon language. Turn it up. <laughs> yep. Totally into it. Since when do we have Vulcan science officers? Well, we always thought that we always did, but these guys were before Spock. So you realize that Discovery is probably going to look a lot more like this than uh, than uh, Star Trek: The Original Series, eh? Because they're they are they have to try and modernize the look of it. That's what I hope. That's what I'm hoping because it's around the time of the cage, but it can't mm-hmm. look like the cage. It can't look like a 1950s or you know, 60s sci-fi. It's just not. It's going to have to reset to something that is more practical. It's going to have to look more real. It's going to have to stand up to high definition for sure. Mm-hmm. They said they're going to have fun yeah. with it. It's going to be It's going to be interesting to see what they're going to do with it. I can't wait. Now we find out it's been postponed until May instead of January, but I'm okay with that. Let's give them the time they need to make a good show, right? Yep. She smells Porthos. I always thought it was weird that that they had this like some of the things that Archer liked, like having this dog. I kind of thought was weird, and uh, the um, water polo I thought was weird. Yeah, that, I don't know. Like the dog is kind to me is call, call back to Crimson Tide, where Gene Hackman's character okay. actually has a he has a Jack Russell Terrier, I believe. Captain's prerogative. I love in the mirror universe how Porthos is like, what's like a pit bull or something? Yeah, he's a Rottweiler. <laughs> I was about to say, it could be worse. It could be a Great Dane, you know, in, in a ship this size. <laughs> T'Pol's giving him the business. I think she got good, and she got she grew into her role. At the beginning, she's a little bit, you know, season one, I'm not sure what I think of... Uh, Jolene Blaylock's performances to Paul. It's not my favorite, but as she goes along, I really like it. And I think she really comes into her own in season four. I really like her portrayal by the end of the by the end of the run. Oh, definitely. Like to Paul's journey is the greatest, I think, of all the characters. And Blaylock's performance, it just it it evolves all the way through the series. For nearly a century, we've waded ankle deep in the ocean of space. I love this part here. I love how they got. Um, 
Uh, oh, geez, what's his name now? To come back for uh, for Zephram Cochran here. I'm drawing a blank as to his name. What the heck's his name? I'm actually drawing a blank also. Boomers, let us Boomers, let us know on the Babel conference on the show post here. Every, who was playing? Every screaming in their cars, yelling and honking their horns. I know, and I and I love the actor James Cromwell. There we go, James Cromwell. You can stop screaming. <laughs> stop screaming now, listeners. I noticed the other day I watched this and they don't get to watch the video. They, they have to miss the video. I never noticed that before. And the ship is outside the window. So it's not like they just turned and went into a door and ended up in the ship. You know, they're, they're sprinting. And there's his dad behind him there too, hey, Henry Archer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There he is. He's on his left shoulder. Thousands of inhabited planets at our fingertips. This is really cool. This gives this gives chills. I think this is a good first episode for a show. You know, I like this. I like this a lot. It's it it sets up it sets up a lot of concepts that we're going to see. It sets up this exploration. You know, the characters are very good. You know, they're these warm-hearted people that want to explore, right? Yep. Optimistic. And I like it. Op- yeah. Optimistic explorers. You bet. Not sure if we need to take weapons or not. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty much all the people are. Like, Archer's an optimistic captain, you know. Mayweather's a very optimistic guy. Tripp's pretty optimistic. Until season three, anyways. But Right. Oh, yeah, that changes everything. Season three changes everybody. <laughs> Actually, T'Pol becomes more optimistic in season three. and Everyone else goes down, it seems like. Yeah, this is great. Now, how do you... How do you feel about them calling this the Annex 01 when we had that fake Annex 01 in Voyager's Hope and Fear, that holographic ship that that guy made? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I just I just went with it. That was a fake ship anyways. Right. Thank you. Let's go. Boy, they, are, they have a journey ahead of them. Made sure the parking brake wasn't on. Future guy. Now, they didn't keep up with this future echo effect. You know, when you get to uh, the end of season three and whatnot, and I think even in later in season two, they 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 don't do it anymore. They just kind of stop with this future echo blurriness. Right. Well, they had pilot budget, maybe. They did it for a while, like, but they just didn't continue on with it. Okay, so now John Fleck here, we've seen him as a lot of aliens. He was a Romulan on uh, on DS Nine. So, looking at this future guy, the first time and this time, what do you think? What species? I like the theory that it's Archer. Oh, really? Yeah, I've heard the theory that it's Archer, and I kind of like that. Well, I look at it, and I've always thought it was a Vulcan or a Romulan. So I can I, I can get on board with Tommy Craft's Horizon theory mm-hmm. that it's a, a future Romulan. He did such a good job with that film, Horizon. Oh, yeah. This is great. We get to see the menagerie of a sick bay. <laughs> Which we get to see again in the animated series. There's an episode where... Uh, 
where uh, Doctor McCoy in the animated series got like a bunch of animals in his uh, in his doctor or in in his um, medical bay, and I'm like, oh, he must have just recently read a book by Doctor Flox or something. Right. Oh, that's cool. I hadn't thought about that. Retcon. <laughs> Flox is so ready. Like he's a veteran space explorer. He's used to other species. He's ready to do whatever, man. He's like he's like a pro here. Everyone else is new, and he's like a, he's a pro. I remember when this came out, and I had seen images of Flocks. I totally thought he was a Cardassian. I'm like, what? And you know, he's not. But that's what I thought. In my head canon, this is not Archer's first captaincy. In my head canon, he has been working his way up through like warp two, warp three ships, maybe warp four ships. Since he's been working on the NX program, he's been getting his sea legs. Optimism? Hmm. Really? I would have thought that this was his first. I never would have thought about it that way. Well, I would have thought if this is the flagship and this is the like the this, the best one we've got, then you're are you going to give some a rookie the helm? You know, are you going to give them the chair, or are you going to make them maybe work his way up? You know, through like smaller. But ships? But isn't that what they were competing for in first flight? Yeah, I know. Eventually, they were competing for it. Eventually, that's my headcanon. You know, they they were trying to show that show off. You know that they were the best pilot, and they knew the system the best. But then they had, in my head canon, there's this time between first flight and here that they were getting their, earning their pips, so to speak, on slower ships. Mm-hmm. Sweet spot. Now, so I got to get Anthony Montgomery's autograph at the first convention I went to. So I got his photo, and I got him to autograph. He's like, "What do you want it to say?" And I, he did not want to write it but i got him to write i love the sweet spot then he saw it and he autographed the picture oh that's awesome <laughs> he did he's like oh are you sure you want me to write that i'm like yes i want you to write that that is so awesome <laughs> so i got an autographed picture of anthony mccormick that says i love the sweet spot i think i think the only <laughs> other time that we see this is during fortunate sun Maybe when I think you're right, yeah. I think that's the next time that we see the sweet spot. But again, in my head canon, he likes to sneak off there when he's off duty a little bit. Oh yeah, all the time. I uh, when I was doing from there to here our rewatch, and we got to the episode lessons when Picard and uh, and Nella Darren are like playing the flutes in the in the corridors. I'm like, are they in the sweet spot? That would be so sweet. <laughs> Just flip this p- picture upside down, sweet spot. There you go. And didn't they have a candle also? I think they. I don't think they did. Oh, okay. Not in that. Okay. Breadsticks. Hey, we've been talking about that tonight already. Yeah, there you go. An iced tea. That's what I assume. I like the way that he says that. Get out for a little fun once in a while. As if she can't hear. That's so true. <laughs> what language are you speaking? If I say it louder and I use my hands. You will understand me. Do you speak English? Exactly. Great parties at the Vulcan Pen Pen. It might be a little easier using your fingers. Vulcans don't touch food with their hands. Can't wait to see you tackle the spare ribs. Now, do you think that's a Long Island iced tea? Oh, it could just be whiskey on ice, you know, with a little lemon. Maybe, I don't know. This looked awesome. Now, why didn't they keep this guy around to be Daniels? 
That would have been better. Man, the food, when they set this down the first time I ever watched Broken Bow, holy cow. I was like, wow, wait a minute. Kirk didn't eat anything like this. <laughs> no, he ate those colored fruit cubes. Exactly. It looks like Play-Doh. So what I always imagine it tastes like. You have yet to embrace either patience or logic. You remain impulsive carnivores. Yeah. How about war? Disease, hunger. Pretty much wiped them out in less than two generations. That's a massive steak. Like, what is that thing? Like a 40-ounce steak or something? <laughs> Where would they store all the food, you think, though? Like, for 100 people eating like this. Well, maybe not everybody did. Maybe it was just the captain's table. They ate like this. Everybody else got maybe like a half a cheeseburger. This is a. I can just picture the outtake from this. Like a deleted scene. Archer's just like, I'm supposed to be impressed by that? Her holding up the, holding that up with what she says, that's a perfect meme for somebody to build right there with her, you know, with proper discipline. Anything is possible. I don't know. Does anybody else feel that? Feel what? I like this scene a lot, too, where they're all freaking out because nobody's been this fast before. They're like, what was that? What was that? (laughs) Exactly. Stepping on the gas. Let's go go ahead and break the engine in here. There, what do you call that? All right, step on a little bit more here. It's all new to them. Yeah, especially Hoshi. The first time I watched this, um, like all the way through, so it's been recently, uh, like within the last 10 years, I um, Hoshi kind of got on my nerves a little bit, starting with this episode about how much of a rookie she was. And assuming, you know, that she's a trained start fleet officer and that she's been on other ships... I don't know. It just seemed like she was being, she was playing too much of a naive rookie at first. But then after that, since then, it's, I don't know, it's been very natural for me. And it doesn't stand out as much. You know, it's only for a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, she's a pro. Mm-hmm. She's getting her space legs. Exactly. <laughs> A little bit, I love it. She, Archer tells her to tell him to shut up, so she just yells, "Shut up!" <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it cracks me up every time. I always anticipate it right here. So I was listening to a Standard Orbit episode the other day, and they were talking about like parallel universes and whatnot, and um, and they were mentioning with the 2009 Star Trek. This is kind of off topic a little bit. Um, they mentioned with the 2009 Star Trek and Star Trek Six. And how Uhura in Star Trek Six needs books in order to uh, um, understand Klingon, right? And you know, I think that scene is hilarious, but a lot of people are like, "I don't like that because of this and that." And uh, how Uhura in uh, the JJ timeline doesn't need that. And uh, their answer on it, I can't remember if it was Mike or Drew who said it. it was on an older episode of Warp Five, but they're like, "It's because of when um, Nomad wiped her brain, wiped Uhura's brain." Right? And then they had to retrain her, like she had to learn everything from the beginning. She just did; they just never got around to teaching her Klingon again. <laughs> nice, that is some great. That's some great retconning right there. I love that. Nice. I can't remember what episode of, Warp, of uh, Standard Orbit that was, but uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> I'll buy it. That's that's head cannon for me now. What do you think about the ceiling wall crawling guys? What do you think about them? I think it's neat. Again, like it's 
this genetically engineered race in there, nobody has the same genetic engineering, right? They've, it, it, uh, that's the way that I've always done it. They all, all have something a little different. It's like, hey, I want, I want uh, you know, good vision, and I want, I don't know, Spider-Man ability to climb walls. Go invisible. I want to go invisible. Yeah, I don't think they all had the same things. Right. Yeah, when I'm, I was watching this first time in 2001, I was blown away. I was like, man, this is not like any Star Trek I've ever seen. You know, we had the guys that went under the doors. They flattened themselves out, went under the doors, and their arms went like Plastic Man style. And now these guys can mm-hmm. climb on ceilings and walls and turn invisible. So, yeah, man, they... This was more. This was more than I'd ever seen on Star Trek ever before. Now I love it. You just have to imagine that this has been going on all along. Even in Kirk's time, they saw aliens. This alien. Sulabon. Such a weird skin, like that green, yellow black sandpaper like it looks like sandpaper their skin hey eh? yeah it's like it looks like almost like a really bad scars the Sulevan all had really bad acne growing yeah, up or chemical burns or something <laughs> really bad face peel like really bad pretty sure he's gone Archer you're staring at the bed but he's not there Mr. Reed thought he detected something right before we lost power. The starboard sensor logs recorded a spatial disturbance. Looks more like a glitch. Those weren't glitches in sickbay. So one thing I'm going to read here before we get to more into the episode. So another piece of uh, music. So there's the original Broken Bow soundtrack score that was released back in 2001. And this is a note from the composer, Dennis McCarthy. And I really like it and I wanted to share it. When I first screened the opening episode of Enterprise, what struck me was the sense of adventure that it had, a sort of the right stuff attitude towards space exploration, as well as a sense of awe and wonder as the crew of the Annex-01 Enterprise begin their first journey to the stars on a desperate mission to save a Klingon warrior and return him to his homeworld, while at the same time becoming involved in a temporal Cold War that could affect the entire future history of mankind. The first idea I came up with was the very Americana-flavored theme for our captain, Jonathan Archer, that is heard throughout the score, as well as a sinister percussive motif for the villains of peace, the Sulaban. I composed about 55 minutes of original score for the episode, as well as several pieces of source music for an alien planet our heroes visit. The first day of recording was a joy. We all had pretty much the same orchestra that I've been using since 1987 for Star Trek, and the players gave it their all. By the end of the day, we had recorded the music for the first half of the show, and we went home very happy. The next morning, I was awakened by a good friend who called me up and told me to turn on the TV. It was September 11, 2001, and the attacks on the World Trade Center were underway. I watched in horror as the first tower fell and my heart filled with sorrow. The recording session that day was set to start at 10 a.m., I was asked if I wanted to postpone it until a later date, but the musicians and myself felt we needed to move ahead despite the tragic events that were still unfolding. It was without question the hardest recording session of my entire career, but the musicians turned in magnificent performances despite the tragedy we had just witnessed. I wish to dedicate this album to those who we lost on 9-11-01 and those men and women who rose to the challenge and showed us that the human spirit will prevail no matter what. Sincerely, Dennis McCarthy. Wow, that's great. 
Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, I'll have to admit, when I was watching this the first time in 2001, I wasn't really in that much of a mood to watch television. So that that mm-hmm. kind of tinted my my viewing experience. It, it took it took a few years. It took four or five years for it really to sink in for me. Yeah, and I mean, like the name Suleiman sounds like the Taliban, exactly. Right? And it was that that wasn't an accident either. I actually heard that. Uh, that was okay. Sorry to interrupt. So, are those all um, like pupils? You think? I think it's like a spider. Every one of those I think things. It's like a spider. Yeah, I think that's they're see, okay. He's seeing all all of those in different spectrums. That's that's how I put it together. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, no problem. <laughs> but yeah, um, Brandon Braga. I, I believe I could be wrong. Actually, in an interview that I read. He said that that was on purpose. That he had been to uh, he had been to the Middle East, and that that was a uh, the Taliban, and he had been visiting villages, and there was something about it that that was the reason. He actually wrote it ahead of time, so it was already written, and it was not like it was. It just so happened to be that that was how it, that was. How they ended up being in, in the news later, but he mm-hmm. actually had that in mind. So I don't know if that's a retcon story, but I don't think so. I think it's it, when you hear it, you totally think of it: Suleiman, Taliban, right? It's it, they didn't change much to come up with that name, and I think that was intended from the beginning. And then you know everything happened. Unfortunately, your sensors were not designed to measure plasma decay. Here's Trip and Paul working together for the first time. Something tells me that. Uh, They'll get along later. Spoilers. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. This is the first episode. <laughs> Spoiler show. Maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. You'll just have to stick around. Maybe. You know, I liked, I liked, I was talking with somebody the other day. I liked the, uh, the Dax and Worf relationship, but the only other relationship I ever, like, shipped on Star Trek was, uh, was Trip and Paul. Everybody else I didn't care about. I, I totally didn't buy Bolan and Tom. Really? No, not at all. I, I kind of like their relationship, but it it had to grow on me. It had to grow on me. You know, it, like later, not the beginning. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if, at the beginning, they were almost feeling like, at the beginning of Enterprise, that they were trying to ship to Paul and Archer a little bit. And Trip just happened to be the guy standing over there snickering on the side. And then they got away from that pretty quick. Or that's the feeling I got when I watched, this, when I watched the series. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what about uh, well, you got Jadzia and Worf. What did you think yeah. about that? Did you think that? Oh, that's the only other one that I liked oh, I gotcha. a lot. They were a very, very good couple. Yeah. So they're on their way to Rigel Ten. So if you remember from the Cage, they were on Rigel Seven fighting the Kalar. Exactly. It's such an like if you go through and you go into Memory Alpha and talk about it, like just about every planet in the Rigel system is inhabited, which is so weird, right? Like Rigel ten, like we got eight planets and Pluto in our solar system, and you couldn't imagine any anything else being habitable, right? But this science fiction concept of this ten planet system where just about everything's inhabited. And Bejor has a ton. I'm not sure some of them are not inhabited, but they have a ton in their mm-hmm. system. But yeah, you have to try to think about maybe it's not carbon based, you know, or maybe it's like a some a kind of a evolution of an alien to where it might not be in the Goldilocks zone, you know. 
No, they're all just colonized, like those um, uh, those those girls that McCoy was with on the um, on, uh, on uh, shore leave, yes. right? That he mentions a Rigel. I think it's Rigel two. That's in that right. One. And um, what's his name? The uh, Piglet the Ripper from uh, exactly. Wolf yes. in the Fold. He was from one of the Rigel planets, right? Another one like Rigel six yes. or something like that. I love that. Piglet, Piglet right? the Ripper. So. Yes, that's great. <laughs> Wolf in the Fold. So that's a crowded little uh, area of occupation for that solar system. And they mention at some point in, in I think it's in um, uh, All Good Things, uh, Jordy and um, Leah Brahms are married and living in the Rigel system in the alternate future, I think. Okay, these away jackets are boss. Let me just say. These ones are weird. I love these jackets. They've got the shiny texture. They, uh, they kind of have like a faux leather look. You know, they look like they would be weather resistant. And I love, I love the look of these. I, don't, I believe we never see them again. I'm pretty sure that this is the only episode they appear in. But I love these jackets. I might be wrong, but later the jackets don't have the shiny. They don't have the texture. They, they're just not the same. These are boss. Mm-hmm. They need to pop those collars. That's what I'm saying right now. Those collars, <laughs> they're just being wasted, folded down. They need to pop those collars. Well, that's kind of like uh, Picard's jacket in Darmok in Season 5 of Next Generation, right? The first time you see it, it's all shiny and leathery, and then something happened. The jacket got damaged, and and uh, every time we saw it again, it wasn't all shiny and leathery on the on the shoulders. Yep. That's a great shot flying into that, man. That like That's an alien world snow I mean that just man it brings up it just makes imagination just run you know this is another a new world that no human's ever been on before yeah and you know in the original series you always went down it was nice weather right like there wasn't very many planets you went down to that had bad weather exactly. right and so to go down to a planet that had snow well it was kind of you know it's kind of like spring in the California weather you know that's kind of what the original series kind of looked like you know that Cali- it's just so similar to California weather. Mm-hmm. This is great, though. Uh, Trip in his little his mini education that he gets right through here, or lack. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, what's that horror movie series where they um, the hostel? Oh, right. It's like <laughs> I think of Blade Runner when I see that when he's looking through the window. I think of Blade Runner. Yep, of course, Malcolm and. Malcolm and Mayweather, they go find the strip club. It's not a strip club, it's a butterfly oh, club. Sorry. It's an alien uh, sort of strip club. No butterflies were harmed in the recording of this episode. guy kind of looks like a Benzite, but he's not breathing the yeah, thing. True. He's not blue either, but type of makeup on him looks like a Benzite. I like that makeup, though. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, they're exploring. They're the first humans to go it this far, and look at how habitable this planet is. Like, there's just so many different cultures here, right? So, you know, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of alien species have been to this planet, but it's the first time humans have been there, right? right? This reminds me of kind of like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> oh, the, the scene in uh, 
Beetlejuice. Oh, yes. <laughs> Fill out your paperwork, sit in the waiting room. Just expect somebody to turn and like put dust on him and like shrink yep. his head. Okay, Drip, slow down your your human rights. Trip needs to work on his poker face. He's upset. Mm -hmm. He yells, hey, and Paul doesn't even blink an eye. <laughs> the easternmost subsection by the geothermal shafts. What are you doing? Leave the kid alone. Don't get involved. You see what she's doing? He's going to suffocate. They're Lorelians. Before the age of four, they can only breathe methyl oxide. The mother is simply oh. weaning her son. Could have fooled me. Humans can't refrain from drawing conclusions. You should learn to objectify other cultures. So you know when to That's something that humans do. I mean, like you watch on Facebook or whatever, right? And people just immediately judge. It's just their immediate reaction to everything. You said something I don't like, so I'm going to snap and jump on you. And, you know, they don't stop to think. You know, like there's, there's lots of different things that could be causing this. You never know. The Suleban. <gasps> yep. Trip's reaction to that reminds me of the Star Trek VI, where the uh, the Klingon princess she calls him out for speaking about inalien human rights, and it's mm. like, listen, you know that's speciesist, right there. You're talking about human rights, and we're not human. The very name is yep, racist. We're not, we're not even human. So a lot of people defend Trip on that, and this will also come back to in the cogenitor. You know, this is going to come back to bite Trip. Um, a lot of people defend Trips. You know, well, you know, they should do this, and they should, they should give. There's, there's rights for people, and they should do these things. But it's a completely different species from a completely different solar system. So, I mean, even mm -hmm. on our own planet, we can't interfere with other cultures you know, to a certain extent. So just imagine leaving our solar system and going to a completely different solar system. It's just mind-boggling how different everyone can be and how values or lack thereof would be. But man, we need something, some kind of a directive. We just need something to help, help us out. <laughs> some kind of prime directive yeah, or something. Maybe it might be like a prime sort of thing. Something very important that we can't break. That's why I like the episode from Voyager so much, the Omega Directive, right? Because you've got this prime directive and you get this final directive, right? The Omega Directive. It, it's the only thing that surpasses everything else. And I just rewatched that episode a little while ago, Omega Directive. I love that one so much. I do. I, I like that. First time I saw it, I just I loved it. And then, of course, Seven knows, knows about it because of captains that had been assimilated. So, yeah. Man, get the hands off the archer's jacket. We've seen a lot of places like this, like on Voyager and stuff, where these, you know, these shady tunnels and dark areas. I was hoping you could tell me. It looked a lot like. I think, that, I think the episode was called "Fair Trade," where uh, Neelix comes across that other Talaxian. Kind of looks like that space station. What I'd prefer is you give me Clang back. So you could take him where? Oh. 
were just taking him home. You better be careful. I'm a lot bigger than you are. Did you watch this when it first aired back in 2001? Yes. Man, I was ready, ready to go, ready to go, ready to go. And it was, it was, you know, I, I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I, it was a lot different than the Star Trek I'd seen previous. It was supposed to be before Kirk, so I expected it to be closer to looking like that. But, you know, now I know, you know, it's 100 years before. Things are going to look different. And there's Archer's first kiss. So that's that's certainly a nod to Captain Kirk. <laughs> Except Captain Kirk, I will. Def- that's never happened before. <laughs> Captain Kirk, I will uh, defend him because his kisses were always to save his crew or his ship or to get information. So. Yeah, this first episode, though, I thought was definitely a nod to Captain Kirk. I thought they probably, I mean, I haven't heard for sure, but I'm pretty sure they were definitely wanting to remind us of Captain Kirk here. And we have to remember, Captain Kirk studied Jonathan Archer. You know, everything that Captain Kirk knew, he got from Jonathan Archer, you know, and other captains before him. So he studied the logs. Kissing a girl to get get some information. There you go. It came from Archer. Yeah, look at that patch on his arm. Like it's it's not a patch on top of the clothing. Like it's in the um, this away jacket. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. And then the stitching for the for the stripes on that. It's just awesome. Tommy Craft can tell us about what it's like to sew the the patches and the how the stitching is very intricate to get those uh, stripes just right. So did you watch the uh, entire four seasons of Enterprise when no, they first I was, aired? No, I, was not, give I, was, I didn't give point? up on it. I just couldn't keep up with it because UPN changed mm-hmm. the nights and the times so much. And I was coaching high school basketball at the time. So Tuesday nights and Friday nights were out. And they, it went from like a Wednesday night to a Monday night to a Tuesday night. And then it ended up being in a Friday spot, like Friday at 8 o'clock or something like that. And then it also was preempted. Enterprise was preempted by all sports. Anytime there was a Rangers game or a Mavericks game or something in Dallas, then you missed out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I wasn't able to keep up with it, and then I got so lost. And by the time we got to the third season where it was more it was more connected, all the episodes were more connected, I, didn't even, I couldn't even keep up anymore. I just stopped trying. So when did you finally get around to watching them all? Oh, it was probably probably 2006, 2007. I got it on Netflix. I got through the disc when Netflix started. Oh, you yeah, you had Netflix, but when it was yes. DVDs. See, we never had that in Canada. Like I was one of I signed up in Netflix in Canada when it was right right first came in. I think it was 2010 was when we got it in Canada, but it was only on the digital like so watch it through my right. ps3 so we never had the discs in canada i don't yeah think. netflix it didn't really make sh- sense that it was netflix but you got discs with envelopes but yeah mm-hmm. i was one of the very first subscribers my wife and i were the, one of the very first and how much did it cost back then uh, i want to say it was like six bucks a month maybe mm-hmm. what do you pay now in the states i was for paying only about seven or eight and then they raised my raised me up to ten because of the HD. 
Yeah, we're at 999 in Canada. I was 799 for the longest time. Right. Recently. And then they gave they gave But that's like fifty cents. Yeah, they American. gave me like I think three months just saying because I was one of the charter subscribers, but then they said, Well, sorry, your time ran out. We're gonna have to bump you up with everybody else. Mm -hmm. That was a shootout, western style here. West yep. in the snow. In a moment, Archer ends up with a he's uh dual wielding the laser pistols or whatever they've got going on here and to me that was definitely a nod to Kirk you know, he's he's doing the the western gunfighter move here in just a moment and it's kind of funny because Captain Kaboom here here he's stuck on the shuttle and he should be the one out there shooting people he's probably he's, he's gonna be really upset when they get back and find out that he missed out on a gunfight that's such a there she is. I found her. That's such a um, Mayweather thing to do when he's like, try looking for Vulcan signs, and he just does that thing with his hand. He's like, hmm. You know, like that's that's just exactly. his character, you know? <laughs> Good idea. Man, I wish I worked with positive people like that. My work office is so cranky. <laughs> it's easy to be positive around other people that are positive. It's, it's easy to be negative around exactly, the people that are negative. exactly. It's it's easier to get pulled down though. Yes. There he is, dual wielding. You think Anthony Montgomery will come and work with me? Um, sure. You gotta ask. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I'll tell him we have a sweet spot at my work. <laughs> you probably, I don't know. It depends on how you ask. Do you still like the sweet spot? I don't know. Click. Sure took one in the leg. Oh. Now we come back to this planet again for the last episode. These are the voyages. I didn't. I guess I missed that. I didn't really notice that. And these yeah. are the voyages. That's uh, when they go down to exchange for uh, Shran's oh, really? daughter. Yeah, they're on uh, Rigel Ten again. Comes full circle and didn't even catch that. See how their jackets are kind of shiny there? It's. I j mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I know the boomers are gonna check me on this because they can watch all the other episodes. I'm pretty sure we don't see the shiny jackets again. Because I, I'm, I'm, I was disappointed when I started seeing the flat uh, style. Now, what do you think of them going back and forth to this? So they're using it as a parallel for, you know, for what's going on in the episode, right? So, you know, oh, he's, his mission is crashing and failing because he got shot and whoosh, right? But... I don't know. It's it's weird that they're using this backstory here when he was a kid. Well, especially since this was the first episode ever. So I, w I was actually thinking about that last week. If if it might have had more impact if after we met the current Jonathan Archer, then a couple of episodes from now we get the backstory or we get the the scenes of as a kid. I don't know. I don't know. 
I mean, I, I know what they're going for, but the very first scene of this show is not of Scott Bakula. It's of the child playing Jonathan Archer as a child. Like, what do we get in each of the other shows? So in in Star Trek, like, let's just go with the man trap, right? We get um, we get the ship, and they beam down to the planet right. first thing, right? So encounter at four point, it's that the camera's going up underneath the Enterprise, and then it goes in the window, and we see Picard, and he's recording right. his and, and also, the ship um, didn't look like the ship because it was just the Star Drive section. So when I watched that the first time, I was like, what is this? This doesn't look like Star Trek. And then uh, D Space Nine was uh, the battle at Bull 359, so I think we see Cisco right. first thing there. Um, Voyager, we see Chakotay and them first. Because they're getting chased by the Cardassians. So. Best part of the show. Yeah. Uh, I. I have to say, the first time I saw this in 2001, I, was, I had to say really quite a bit. You know, I mean, I'm a, you know, it was just kind of obvious what they were going for here, you know. Now I look at it as the practical side, you know, because they didn't have the bio filters or whatever they have, you know, in the future. So they had to have the, the detox chamber and... But yeah, the lighting and the way they filmed this, it's really obvious what they were trying to go for here. I don't know. Explain it to me. What do you think they're trying to go for? Well, yeah, that's maybe another podcast. Maybe the After Dark podcast. This is about as close as we can get to Star Trek After Dark, though. You know, this is exactly. No, it's a uh, bounty. All right. <laughs> oh man, that plotline is just so awful. Is that the one where there's the dog getting rubbed while the captain's getting rubbed while it's like a like they're just lined up? Is that in Bounty? I don't know. Bounty's where Paul has that fake. Oh right, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I love that's the eel so, here. So sweet. Like, and it leaves marks. It's got the main mark in the middle, but then it's got the four marks on the sides. Thanks. Looks like that hook from uh, the host that season two yes. X Files episode. Yes. As your highest ranking officer, I assume command while you are incapacitated. Are we underway? You know, it's just I, I don't know. When I first watched this, and even still, I never thought that she would turn the ship around, and they're all acting so surprised that she didn't. You know, like I never thought that she would have done right. that. Well, it's just Archer jumping to the conclusion that's thinking the worst for the Vulcans at this point. Yeah. Do you have blue underwear like that? No. No, not like that. No. That's definitely the Enterprise Blues. Which makes the uh, the actual jumpsuit more purple when you look at it right there. Side by side, I'll take a look on the next shot here. Yeah, I guess it does, hey? Yeah, a little more As purple. As opposed to looking. everyone thinking it's kind of blue, it's kind of purplish, actually, instead of the blue. So for the upcoming Discovery show, the... They better have well, blue underwear. they actually showed a picture of a gold shirt and a blue shirt and a red shirt, and the blue shirt looked a lot like that. 
and it was they were bragging saying hey you know whatever prada you know, star trek discovery uniform supplied by some prada or something like that and it actually looked a lot like that blue shirt like a yeah. the t-shirt i think hmm. i think they were I just kidding because of the color scheme but it oh. looked a lot like that of course that looks a little more under armorish a little more like athletic shirt those look more fashionable there's the statue in the back of Zephyr Cochran reaching up, which we get uh, a callback on that during First Contact, the movie when Jordy's telling Zephyr Cochran about this, the statue. Actually, over there. Right. <laughs> and you're just reaching up, some sort of like this. Boy, Porthos is a good boy. Sit over there on his pillow the whole time. Man. But don't you ask for no cheese, Porthos. You know mm-hmm. it's bad for you. Porthos like, quit talking about it, man. Quit rubbing it in my face. <laughs> yeah, what, a, what a captain, eh? He's like eating cheese and he's waving it. No, no cheese for you. He's like waving it in front. No cheese, you bad dog. <laughs> There's his water yep. polo ball. So we have... We know of baseball... And there's water polo, at least at this point. And they have football. A lot of people forget about football, but they're actually throwing a football in the episode. I can't think. Horizon? Uh, I can't think of it right now. It's it's the one where they're actually in the freighter, and the guys are throwing it back and forth. Yeah. I can't remember the name of that one, that episode. That's not the one with his dad. No. Is it? It's, it's the, the one other where they, one. They catch the knockdown. Like it's, it's, it's the other. Yeah. But yep. I think that's Horizon. I think oh, okay. that one is Horizon. Yep. There's somebody on the Bible conference. Oh, yeah. There's people screaming at the radios right now. This is a cool graphic. The way mm-hmm. they set up the analysis. Calculate the trajectory of each fragment. Sir. You heard her. Recalibrate the sensor array. Narrow band, short to mid-range. Aye, sir. So you know my favorite episode of, of uh, Enterprise because we did the commentary on Future Tense a little while ago there. But uh, what's your favorite episode of Enterprise? Um, I usually say Strange New World. Just be, be, The first part oh. of Strange New World um, just reminds me so much of being a kid and growing up in southeastern Oklahoma and the mountains and the woods and... I just imagine what it would be like to go camping on an alien planet. So when I saw that episode the first time, I was like, wow, that's exactly what I always imagined doing when I play Star Trek at my grandparents' house. I love that one when they beam that guy up and he's got like the twigs yeah, in his face leaves. and stuff. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he came back with a little more matter than he left with. But that's totally believable, right? Because they're like, you know, it's exactly. a new technology. Do you think this is a Romulan or a Vulcan? I don't see any ears, well, though. you can kind of sort of see it earlier in the first scene. But like right now, a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Like, what if it's a... You know, he's not like full-out full Romulan. What if he's Romulan and human? Or Romulan and Alpha Centauri or something? I don't know. I still think it's Donald oh, Trump. God. Oh, wow. 
And you can kind of make out a little bit of the bowl haircut. I kind of imagine that I can see the, see a Romulan or Vulcan in all that. Our situation should improve. We're about to break through the cyclohexane layer. Wouldn't exactly call this an improvement. This is really neat. The way they did the effects here, I thought, of going through the atmosphere of this gas giant. Like, different, there's... There you go. First time we see that, too, the callback exactly, for Spock's yes. thing. Yep. Pops I'll up I'll make there. you squeal if you're a Star Trek fan. Fanboy! It's a little bad weather. Buckle up the seatbelt. That is so cool, though. Like, different layers of the atmosphere, and, like, they were just going through a phosphor layer. Now they're in between. What kind of weapons? We're too far away. Sir, I'm picking up something at 342 Mark 12. It's a lot bigger. If you weren't thinking of this ship as being a submarine, you will in just a moment. Because they actually start dropping depth charges. Well, not dropping them. They start shooting them up in the air. But it's very much submarine. Let it clean out if there is one. That was a political weapon, sir. Bridge, we're taking damage down here. What's going on? Just a little trouble with the bad guys. I suggest we return to the phosphors later. Yeah, it's too bad this show didn't last longer. It would have been great to just see another three seasons yeah. of this, you know? It was starting to get so good. They were doing some fun yeah, stuff. Season four it. is the one, like all Star Trek series, that's when they actually start getting good. That's when most people... When they think of that series, they're thinking of season four and beyond when they actually think of that series, besides the original series, of course. It kind of bugs me, though, when people say that this show is a failure when they had four seasons. That's more than Firefly had. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's... It's more than the original exactly, Star Trek had. Exactly. And it's not really a failure. It just didn't go the full seven. And there's just so many reasons why. The, there was network problems and there was just there was actually like the market they didn't have that network in all the markets it was just and we have TiVo going on so they didn't really know how to read ratings because people just started using uh, HDRs and TiVos at the time so this was like the most recorded episode digitally recorded ep or series I think ever at that point I don't know I'm not sure about that I, I never looked into it. It kind of makes sense, too, because Star Trek fans tend to be kind of up on their tech. You know, so. Mm -hmm. I had an HDR at this time. I couldn't ever catch, though, when the actual show came on. I would record and I'd end up watching, like, wrestling or something, you know, or a baseball game, and I thought I was supposed to be watching this show. Because they'd change it around so much. I remember when this started, I was so excited. Because I figured that this was going to be the Star Trek series with the most amount of episodes. I was talking to a friend about it. I'm like, there's no way there's going to be a writer's strike. And they're not starting in January. So they're going to get 26 episodes a season for seven years. This is going to be the most episodes ever. Yeah. And then they canceled it. Yeah, I was disappointed when I heard about the cancellation. But I have to admit, I wasn't even watching it at that time. I couldn't catch it. I moved to Houston, and they, it wasn't even, like, I didn't get the channel that it was even showing on in Houston. Plus, I barely had time to breathe. Much I didn't even watch te television when I was living there. Yeah, I watched it the whole way through its uh, its initial run uh, for all four years. It, I when it was on, I, like I watched it every week. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was just like it's new Star Trek, and I'll keep watching it. Um, you know, I've definitely grown to appreciate it a lot more. 
uh, this year especially because I had, I had watched all of the Enterprise episodes, and then when I bought the DVDs, I watched them all again, but that was in 2005, and then I didn't watch it again until starting in December 21st, 2015, when I started my rewatch for From There to Here. It had been 10 years since I'd watched any Enterprise at all. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it this year. I think that distance and the excitement of watching something fresh and not really remembering a lot of the episodes, you know? I never, I never hated the show. I just, you know, it just... It's better than a lot of TV out there, right? Oh, yeah. Just, it, was, it was my least favorite of all of them. Even, even bad, but even I, I bad think I like Star Trek's better Voyager. than some stuff on TV. <laughs> what did John Mills say? Star Trek's like pizza. You know, when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's still, yeah, it's still, still pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. <laughs> you finished? And Vol- Archer showing Kirk how to ignore the protocols and go down yourself. And here we go. We're already breaking out. This blue and red things there. It's like, whoops, this is actually my Star Wars cosplay kit. And those are my, right. my general things <laughs> or whatever. So he doesn't even know what it's called. And these are the settings. So he has a not done a marksmanship for this he's not done any range training for this thing that's i gotta say that's probably not how they would do it and that's not what i would want to do either i'm not going to go into a battle with a brand new gun you know i'm going to go in with one that i know i can that would work for me and he likes two guns so you know get some get some uh, shoulder holsters and go for it I think we're there. Bring the docking interface online. The coaxial ports. And it's hard to talk about an episode for yeah. an hour and a half, eh? <laughs> That's pretty funny right there, Trip. He almost pushes the wrong button. Then he looks around like he met, you know, yep. It's like he's he's holding his breath, even though he's the one pushing the buttons. It's right there. Thanks, starboard, ninety degrees. There you are. The concept of these ships is neat that they kind of all fit together. Yep. Like, Drop down right below it. What do they call them? The Mega helix? blocks. <laughs> they fit together like Legos. And. That also, it reminds me of the generational ship from Voyager. I'm not really certain it was the Space Herpes episode where they were all connected like by magnets and they were interconnected like that. And there you go. There you go. Trip likes to cut it close, knock the paint off of the little shuttles that he rides in. He's an engineer, not a pilot. Either that or he's like a adrenaline junkie. He likes to try to see how close he can get. That was the conclusion I came to a few rewatches ago. He's a rebel. I guess maybe it's because we've seen it so much, but them walking into this kind of makes me think of like a Borg, the inside of a Borg cube 
you know that was like claustrophobic okay. a little bit I, I don't know I just you know it, it's familiar to me seems to work it's more stylish than the board cube but it kind of reminds me of how claustrophobic it seems dark Of course, those, they don't even need lights. They're, they've got the multi-spectral eyes. Um, so they don't even need to turn the lights on. Suleban don't. You know, I saw a meme on Facebook the other day, and it's like about who was the best captain. And they had they had this image of the captain, and they showed how many people died under their command. And they had done, like, I don't remember the numbers, but Kirk was like this, and... Picard was this and whatnot, and then it got to Archer, and they had like this really long, like it was like they had like a, a stick figure for every mm -hmm. person that died, and they had like sixty or seventy, and it was like this humongous number, right? And it's like that's not right at all. The first person didn't die under Archer's command until season three, right? Right? Like he had like nobody die under him. Yeah, I've I think I've seen that graphic, and I wasn't really sure about it. I mean, they get a lot of damage in season three, and. But yeah, it seems that I don't know. The, I, I'm gonna have to go back and look at it. The first one dies when they meet that religious race that like does the yes. suicide bombing thing. I can't remember the episode, but uh, it's, it's pretty early on in season three. It's yep, one they of the have biological one. bombs. Oh, this is the way a Klingon does it. Bam. The guy's name is Tiny. <laughs> he's like a basketball player or football player or something? I, you know this guy? He's an actor. I've only seen him as an actor. I'm not sure if he plays sports. He's like a weightlifter looking guy. Bodybuilder. That's yep. a good Klingon. I've seen him in a lot, a lot of movies. I don't know if I could just stand there and let it just wash over me without maybe covering something up. <laughs> the effect of that. And you didn't think about everything just falling apart while you're standing there. Captain! It worked, Trip. Where are you? Still in the central core. Get Clang back to Enterprise. What about you, sir? Get him to the ship. You can come back for me. It's going to be hard to isolate your bio sign, so stay as far away from the Suleban as you can. Believe me, I'll try. I'm glad they went back to these communicators. I know they don't look exactly the same, but I'm glad yeah. they did that. And they're they're still stylish enough, to, though, to seem like they're futuristic for us. But right, they're a little more thin, a little more com like just I don't know, a little more compact than even Kirk's communicator. And some people are like, well, you know, we've got cell phones that are better than that. But man, these people are talking like to spaceships, you know, in orbit and around the planet you know I mean we can do that now but I know I saw an argument on Facebook recently where they were talking about uh, you know they, they can talk to out, things that are orbiting outer space and there's actually like an app where you can connect communicate with the International Space Station now or, or there was something what? like that so you could type messages or something to them so you, could, you actually could use your cell phone to communicate with the space station I'm downloading that app right now <laughs> You know why they're they're small, right? But they're not as crazy as like a, a smartphone. It's because they don't need Facebook and they don't exactly. need Pokemon Go. Exactly. 
they realize how pointless those things are, and and it it's fit you know the flip flip clip and fits in the pocket sleeve. And our planet went through World War Three in the meantime. That's going to cause some, you know, delays on technological advancements after, like, the world right. gets blown Set up. Set it back. Take a new course. Reset. Uh-oh. One Klingon, one human. Dum-dum-dum. And the orchard's just kind of walking down that hallway. And, hey, this looks familiar. This looks interesting. Let's go check this out. That doesn't look like it's working right. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to walk that way. It's messing up the scanner. I don't know if I want any piece of that. Let's just keep right on walking, man. Congratulations, Captain Archer. You now have <laughs> no cancer. Kidding. Somebody's somebody's using a microwave, dude. Get the go go the other way. Space microwave. <laughs> this is kind of cool. It's a it's a kind of like a yeah, disco party. It's, and the sound effects for it, exactly. Got some stro strobe light going here. It's like an airlock for the future guy's room. Yeah, like it puts you in a temporal sink or something with him, but right. not quite, right? Because you got these weird future yep. echoes. I, I think it's neat. Like, I wish they would have kind of kept it. Like, this, it, I don't know what to call it other than like a future echo. Like,. I don't what know. Would you call it? Archer plays with it here. We actually really get to see the effect when Archer plays with it. It's you keep watching it like you cannot grasp it, like you cannot understand right. it in your mind, right? <laughs> it's like breaking the fourth dimension. I I got it better watching it the first time than I did though watching uh, the emissary. When I watched the first episode of Deep Space Nine, I didn't quite get the emissary when he's supposed to be talking to the prophets. And it was all these other people and the white. Um, I didn't quite get that. I get this a little better. It is cool, though. Look how mad she looks. She's getting yelled at on her bridge. Maybe they should have thought about like how what the structure would have been for officers here. Well, he gave it to her. He says, you have command oh, yeah. of the ship. That is a specious analogy. You're wasting your time. Claim knows nothing. Now, this... I won't talk about it before it happens, but this doesn't work for me that he's able to, like, see the future echo and know that he's going to get shot and then dodge right. it. It's like... It's like the uh, the beam has a different properties. Like the light beam has different properties here, so it actually shows like the targeting beam, or like like the lightning mm -hmm. reaching out, and then the power of it goes down the down the the pipe or down the wire, sort of you know the the virtual wire. I don't know if I could have just yeah. stood there and let that first one hit me though. If I know that it's I see it coming, I'm probably gonna step out of the way before the very the first the little targeting beam or the the lead beam hits me. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that part just doesn't work for me. Like, when it gets there, I'll watch it again right now, but it's just, it's like, that's weird. Like, he, because how quickly, like, he's moving his arm, 
and we're seeing that echo, right? But I mean, like, this is a laser phaser beam, right? Like, that thing's moving fast. There's no way you could just dodge that. Even if you saw the pre echo, whatever. I don't buy it. Right, so, the thing about this, it, he moves really slow, and when he moves slow, everything's cool. It's when he moves fast is when things mess up. So, the faster you move, the more messed up it is. So, the light is moving fast at the speed of light. It is really going to get messed up in this room. As long as he's not running, he's it, it's pretty cool. You know, or jerking his hand up and down or whatever. But the light, see, that doesn't make sense, though, because then the guy started running. Yeah, I don't know. I get what they were going for. It's like you saw the beam and then dodged it, but I'm like, I don't know. It just doesn't work. Speed of light, something. Because it's Archer's right. gun. Like, they slow it down, but the beam would still be going so freaking fast. See, like, it's in yeah. slow motion, right? So, like, bang, he would have been shot by now. Like, that's how fast it the inter- Here comes the energy know, down just... the pipeline. And then then here comes yeah. the wave back at him. Nice. So, like, why did that thing shoot back at him? I don't know. That's just odd. It's a future guy room. Got different rules. The wall fights back. Oh man, those are fighting words. Talking about bringing up our uh, some close, being close to apes. Oh man, come on now. See, it didn't do it that time. He went. Yeah. He went to shoot it. Come it didn't on. do the thing. He rides the wave in here. Although I like this. With the light, the strobe, and they're fighting. Yeah, this is good. Archer's trying out his, his archer few archer foo. These aren't ideal conditions. Mr. Tucker, we're going to Ever seen some of those names for Captain Kirk's fights? It's like the jumping gym and the like. Yes. <laughs> yes. The Archer Foo will be perfected later with the Kirk Foo. I like this right here. He, he looks over at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This fight's over. <laughs> I love the callback to this. That they pull him out yep. with the transporter. I love that. Make, then check. Make sure you're over there. Do, do it, Dr. McCoy. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, is my heart here? It feels like it stopped. So I've got to think that that he was already later, late enough in the process to be beamed away. But later in season three, Major Hayes wasn't far enough yep. in the process. So that's why he got messed up. That's, that's kind of my headcanon for that. If you listen to me on from there to here, like I, I got, I was pretty tired of the Klingons in this series. Like, I, I was not a fan of how the Klingons were done. They were so stale right. by this point. But these are pre-Klingons. These are pre-Core and Kang yeah. Klingons. So these, these Klingons are more, they're more in line with the hundred years from now Klingons, or you know, two hundred years from now, I guess. And yeah, but yeah, it's. 
kind of a it's like a mono species you know they're 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 yeah. all acting the same and for hundreds of years I guess I always say the reason that core acted like he did he was so conniving and and the the original series those were the you know they were those were augmented with su superior human genes so that's what you know that's what actually helped the klingons do what they did that's they actually expanded the empire because of those guys these are okay so let me ask you this in your head canon is Klingon's blood red or pink? Ooh, I know. I every time I see this, I see red. But I'm just thinking maybe it's the dark light. I can't. Like, they never. Star Trek Six is the only time we see pink blood as Klingons, yep. right? I don't think we ever saw yep. pink blood again. And I liked the pink blood. I thought it was cool. I thought it was neat because you know you Vulcans have green blood, right? So it makes sense to me. So to me, everything else is wrong, and Star Trek Six is right <laughs> okay. in my head canon. Klingons have pink blood, and everything else is wrong. Okay, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Uh, it would help because we have the the green blood from the Vulcans, so the Klingons could have a different element basis for theirs, their blood instead of being iron based. It's yeah, like Pepto Bismol. Based. You know, maybe Pepto Bismol based. Yeah, there you go. When you have heartburn, just right. like bite a Klingon. The Klingons have like three hearts, so they really need to have that flowing through them. <laughs> or maybe that's what happened in Star Trek VI. He just got through eating dinner and drinking Romulan ale. Maybe he just drank a lot of uh, Pepto-Bismol, and that's what this... I think it's a shot in the stomach and all this Pepto-Bismol leaks out. There, there oh, yeah, I guess go. that would work, too, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Paul, we're kicking you out on the next ride. Keep going, son of a bitch. I have a feeling Doctor Flox won't mind staying around for a while. He's developing a fondness for the human endocrine system. I'll get double shifts on the repair work. I think that outer hull is going to need a little patching up. Let's hope that's the last Admiral time somebody Forrest. takes a shot. He said Admiral him. Forrest. Mm -hmm. Admiral Forrest. So yes. Okay, 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 That's Vince yes. Armstrong. He's Admiral here. He's a Commodore in First Flight. Okay. I kept trying to make him a Commodore in my head. Like, all along. I understand. No, I don't think you do. And the other guy's Admiral Gardner. Yeah. I'm going to pull this off. There are a few things There's probably a Mendez around there somewhere. Things like... That will have a future generation that's going to be in Starfleet. This mission would have failed without your help. I won't dispute that. Well, he says he's going to get rid of the preconceptions and the holding grudges, but he's going to have to work on it because he still has it. Even after we get going here in the next few episodes, in the first season. Perhaps you should add pride to your list. Perhaps I should. I like. I'm excited for some of the changes that are going to come with Discovery. You know, like a lot of people are like freaking out because they're worried about how they're going to change the aliens and stuff. Like, the the way they change the Tellarites in Enterprise, man, those aliens look so awesome in Enterprise. You know, if they can change a few other aliens like that in uh, in Discovery, like I am all for that. That yep. is going to be awesome. And I'm not afraid. I think Endorians are still going to be blue, but they're going to look awesome. They're they're going to have to look awesome. They have to. They have to stand up to HD TV. 
and you know everyone knows that this is going to be studied forever there's going to be podcasts about this forever so or at least yeah. that's what I hope boy Archer's uniform looks so crisp and ready to go here and his hair is all combed to the side and man does he not he's all happy about getting the adventure started here man does he not know what's going to be happening later Just wait till you get stuck in the future, yeah, buddy, yeah, at the end yeah. of the year. <laughs> what is Archer's? I just thought of this after watching Beyond. What does Archer's closet look like? <laughs> so just jumpsuits. No, he's got some of those. He's got some. That nice is true. Actually, clothes. we got to see a lot of he's... cool off-duty clothes in this series. Only work four, huh? Yeah. Yep. Don't want to push it. Go for a nice leisurely pace. See, and then here we are. Oh, everything's good again yeah. with me and my dad, and we're Flying on off into the again. sunset. Fifteen yes. years, Floyd. Oh my goodness! All right, that's the uh, that's the episode there. So um, let's do it just again. Right back. Let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's do just the do next one on Klingon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or Vulcan, because she wasn't allowed to speak Vulcan. We could do Vulcan. So, um, what what do you what's your what's your take about Broken Bow? Like, how did it stand up as a pilot overall with all the series? Um, like, where does I think it, where it's does a it rank? Good for you? first episode uh, for pilot episodes. Um, ooh, I, well, I would probably have to say second last. So, what's your number one? so tough like I, because I love Deep Space Nine in the original series so much right so you know like Where No Man Has Gone Before is my favorite mm -hmm. episode of the original series but is that the pilot episode well no because the man trap aired da, 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 da. right I mean like I love Where No Man Has Gone Before like that's such a great episode Encounter of Farpoint's okay um, Caretaker's a really good pilot but so is Emissary right so you know it, it's t it's really tough to say I, I think this is the best pilot even though I'm like a huge original series all? fan I didn't really follow Emissary until I watched it a couple of times, you know, on a couple of rewatches, and then I got it. Or, like, maybe the, nec the next rewatch, I was like, oh, okay, I get what they're doing here now. Um, Caretaker's pretty good. You know, I was really impressed with that when I saw Caretaker the first time. Mm -hmm. But this, now looking back, I really, I think this is the best pilot. I think, even though, remember, this wasn't even the way they wanted to start the series. You know, they, mm -hmm. this was yeah. first flight would have been a season long or at least a half a season would have been like first flight the whole time. And we wouldn't have gotten to this until the end of season one. This would have been like, I would have liked this to would have, have been that. the season finale. So that could have been amazing. Right. You know, we get into politics, we get into building the crew, we get into building the ship, testing weapons. We get into more diplomacy. Um, maybe instead of seeing the, the main ship right away, we see some of the, the slower ships, you know, and the, and the closer maybe missions or something that are going on, we get to see um, Archer practicing to be the captain of the flagship, you know, maybe. And, but I, st I like Broken Bow. I mean, it's kind of, we fast forward ahead, you know, my head can's going to have to show all that other, what season one could have been. We just jumped right, right here to the end of season one and now we're going to get going. But yeah, I'm, I like Broken Bow. I like how it sets it up because then you go right into season one. You jump right into uh, Fight or Flight, Strange New Worlds, and then exactly unexpected. Just, <laughs> yeah, trip. Say no, trip. You know, just say no. 
So, yeah, I'm I like I like Broken Bow probably the best pilot. Although, man, you know, like you said, to me, where no man has gone before is that's the pilot for original series. Yeah. So even no matter how it aired, that's what that was the pilot for me, and that it's cool. But this one, it, I don't know. This one just seemed like it had it. It just has it together, like right away. But they should mm-hmm. because it's the last series they made, so they should be getting pretty good at it. But, yep. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun commenting on Broken Bow. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek FM, Standard Orbit. <laughs> We can't forget the best part of this episode, absolutely, hands down, is how tight Spock's pants are in this episode. He has got some epically tight pants. You know, Brandon, I wasn't really paying attention to that, so I'll take your word for it. But he's like, yeah, Brandon, I can't say I noticed that. (laughs) Literary treks. Because I love the idea that you have all these artifacts that, that, that all do something different with time. And how do you prevent them from being used? Saturday morning trek. Remember, principal photography hasn't even started yet, so these concept designs are just that. Concepts. If this was 1976, you'd be getting sketches. And disco. Melodic treks. Those are totally, like, you could clearly tell that they were going for a, a mamas and the papas kind of vibe with the music that they were, that they were doing, right? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So yeah, check out these shows and find out what you're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us anywhere that you get your podcasts. And if you want to stream it or get the MP3 file, or you can even grab the RSS link, just visit our website at Trek.fm. And if you're an Apple user, please consider subscribing to our show. That could really help us move up in the search engine for the way iTunes works. And also while you're there, you could leave us a star review and rating. And that again will help us out greatly. And we have several star reviews for iTunes right now. And we're kind of backlogged on that. Like I'm, I'm thinking we have almost 10. So thank you so much for those. And we'll be reading those out in future shows. But since this one's running a little long, let's just go ahead and we'll save those for next time. But I will, I did want to tell you though, that I was talking with future guy and uh, and he told me who was going to leave the next few Warp 5 ratings. So uh, Billy and Judy and Ramandeep and uh, Muhammad and Jason. I just want to thank you guys for your wonderful reviews that you're going to be it, doing right away. It will be happening soon in the future. Right, very good. Yeah, you bet. Very good. And another way you can help us is to help support the network on patreon.com you can go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trek fm and look at all of our goals and milestones that we have available and even at one dollar you can help our network out greatly but if you want to bump it up to five dollars you get access to the patron zone and then if you get up to fifteen dollars you get access to the patrons roundtable and i'm actually a supporter of trek fm on patreon.com patreon.com uh brandon is and we also have our associate producer which is mike morrison for warp five he's a the host of metatrex and also um jeff was a previous co-host and he also is a supporter of the network through patreon.com so just 
if you, if you feel moved for $1 a month, that could help us out a lot. But if you bump it up a little bit, you get a lot more coming for you. You get a lot more for it, especially the patrons roundtable. Those are so much fun. I'd also like to thank uh, Brandon here because Brandon's actually going to be editing this episode for us. So thank you so much at Brandon. I also like to thank Christopher Jones. He is our Warp 5 editor and producer. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can also find us on trek.fm slash contact, and you can look on the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and as we've mentioned so many times during this episode, you can see it, visit us at the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, in the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So thank you so much, Brandon, for coming aboard the NXO one here. This was a little bit of an extended episode with the, the two-parter here of Broken Bow. But yeah, I'd want to thank you so much for coming aboard here with us. Hey, you're very welcome. I had a good time. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, so if we, our fans are wanting to talk to you about the possible soundtrack crossover, maybe what what you're looking for maybe in the upcoming episodes in the new series Discovery, uh, how can they reach you? Ah, well, you can find me here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. You can find me on Twitter, at Brandon Matella, and you can find me in the Babel Conference every once in a while poking my head up. And where Very can good. people find you, Floyd, when you're not trying to wean your children off of uh, methyl chloral hydride? Yeah, the, the, I'm actually I'm available in the Babel Conference. I haven't been really lately because I've been so, so busy. So I haven't really even been on social network. But yeah, that's my main go-to spot is the Babel Conference on Facebook. Um, so yeah, Brandon, let's go ahead and see if Chef's got any leftover steaks in the kitchen in there. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and go check that out. Actually, so, I'm going to go for some of those breadsticks. Oh, there you go. Maybe, maybe, maybe breadsticks and milk. There you go. So thanks everyone for listening and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>